Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. Additionally, I founded the consultancy P&N Pricing and Negotiations in Healthcare based in Toronto, Canada, which supports companies and individuals globally by coaching, simulations and training, especially on negotiations. This service is including our innovative virtual reality simulation program and is part of the Negotiation Lab. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. Amnok and Amnok negotiations are obviously very, very special. I mean, the ones who are following us already since a while, I mean, are probably already knowing a bit the Amnok process. So we'll just uh, summarize that very briefly and then go a bit further into the details of the negotiations before we then have the episode interview with Alex Meyer, a German lawyer, also specialized in regulatory and price negotiations. So the AMNOC process, I think, follows quite clear rules. I mean, if you have a new ingredient, meaning the ingredient was uh, launched after January 2011, that was the time when AMNOC was implemented, then that product would need to go through the AMNOC process, meaning the GBA is assessing the product according to the submitted evidence and the co-driver for a good outcome, meaning the and a positive added benefit is driven by the evidence-based medicine criteria, hence basically around randomized controlled trials. Very important here is obviously besides the quality and the design of the study, also the comparator in the clinical trial, meaning the appropriate comparative therapy, the Zweckmäßige Vergleichstherapie in German, which is mainly been driven by the standard of care in Germany and is being defined by the GBA. For that, you can obviously have an early advice or consultation with the GBA, but also other related questions can be handled. If it's not an orphan drug, then the ICWIC has also been taken into account. They are then assessing the submitted evidence, meaning the dossier which needs to be um, evaluated. And after that, the GBA is deciding on the added benefit. Why is the added benefit so important? Because obviously and ultimately only if you have a positive added benefit, so meaning more than a no added benefit, that's quite clear, then you are allowed basically also to go into the price negotiation, meaning you are allowed to have a premium price over, and that's now the question mark, right, around the comparative therapy or anything which might then be potentially be related to a price anchor. But what and how do those price negotiations look like? Ultimately, there are four negotiation rounds. Every and each of those basically lasts for four hours. Sound maybe long, but at the end of the day, whoever was already in AMNOC negotiation, it might not even be that long. So there, it follows basically also clear rules. Um, first negotiation round is primarily around getting to know each other, discussing a lot of the appendices which need to be submitted upfront, meaning the number of sales, for example, the situation in the other countries, and a couple of further information. 
second, third, fourth rounds are then as well, obviously trying to differentiate. I mean, you need to argue, you need to have a differentiation phase in the negotiation because otherwise you cannot come to, let's say, an agreement as both sides might as well, might quite clearly approach the negotiation from different perspectives. So core question still remains, who should be on the negotiation team? How should you prepare and what should you consider in that kind of AMNOC environment? For that, I was speaking with Dr. Alexander Meyer. He's an attorney at law and currently the partner at Preubolik and Partner, but obviously he had as well some further experience, for example, within Novartis, Hexal and other uh, law firms. Yeah, the question comes up quite often. What is relevant in the context of the grant of a marketing authorization um, when you then want to explore relevant for price negotiations, relevant for further commercialization? And I think in this context, I normally refer to two quite important things. First one is, is the marketing authorization granted a unconditional marketing authorization um, or is it granted on a conditional basis? So the difference is that if it's granted uh, on an unconditional basis, then it's valid for five years and only after five years there is a renewal. However, if it's granted as a conditional MA, for example, all the COVID-19 vaccines have been granted uh, on a conditional basis, mm -hmm. then a yearly renewal is uh, necessary. Uh, why could this be important for price negotiations? Yeah, um, it may be that because you only got a conditional MA, uh, you, you may be uncertain about whether the MA will be renewed or not. And by this, um, the in the context of the price negotiations, that could be a role by having whatever price being negotiated negotiated limited to the one year or only two years. Second point, which I think is relevant, is whether the product is a so-called new active substance. Uh, and by this, whether the medicinal product will obtain the so-called new active substance status. This is relevant because with the new active substance status, in general, regulatory data protection is linked. Mm -hmm. And that's, of course, quite important because in order to be sure about uh, an additional exclusivity right in the context of the regulatory data protection, this is, of course, important to know whether in parallel to patent protection, a company also benefits from a regulatory data protection for its product. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. And and uh, I mean, Alex, you brought up a couple of very important things. I think the unconditional or conditional market access point, but also now with the new active substance status, that both might have anyway impacts on the pathway for market access in Germany, right? Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head, Stefan. The point is always. Do you then fall if a product is authorized? Today, we're normally talking about centrally authorized products, and it is about regenerated products. 
when the product is authorized by the European Commission, how is then the national pathway to obtain a price and a reimbursement price in the context of national regimes? And there, as you point out in Germany, on the one side, it is UMDOG relevant uh, when the product obtained new active substance status, because then you fall under the obligation um, of the UMDOG process. And on top, if it is a new indication, which is relevant for additional patient groups, then you also may be uh, falling under the UMDOG proceedings. Exactly. I think that's a... Uh... That's an important um, point. I mean, I, I'm not basically, that means you need to go through the whole kind of, some say hassle, right? Sometimes, or let's say some companies say even opportunity to get the benefit then as well checked. On another point, if there is a new field of application, so a new indication, does that always also mean that you would need to go through AMNOC just from a legal perspective? If it is a new indication, which also includes additional patients, then uh, it is also AMNOC relevant. So you may have to get back to the negotiation table with the uh, statutory health insurance funds association. Um, what could be a difference? Sometimes if you talk about from a regulatory perspective about a new indication, it just may be a switch from third line to second line treatment then the question is, is it really then additional patients which are uh, included? And I think that's normally then the question which will, would need to be assessed in the context of the national pricing proceedings. So um, when does an additional indication lead to new price negotiations? Mm -hmm. And there we would just have to check what is now the threshold. It always depends on what the rules are for that. And on the other side, what kind of new indication was granted? Yeah, and that defines then whether we have to go back to the table. That's a good point. I mean, definition is anyway a good uh, let's say buzzword, I would say. I mean, definition, I would link it a lot of times to lawyers. So you described already quite nicely, let's say the, I would say the pre-process, right, before the AMNOC one. Um, at what point in time do you think it would make sense to have a lawyer present in the process? That's a good question. Asking a lawyer when you need a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Alex, I would only ask you that one, right? <laughs> no, but I think uh, you always know best when the case is over, whether you should have someone else at the table, the expertise of, of whom is, is required mm. or not. So um, after the process, you always know best. But I think here the question is upfront, you know, when does it make sense? And I think from my perspective, it makes sense to involve a lawyer early on in the process. On the one side, in order to discuss and to identify any legal relevant topics for the product in scope. I think that's always important that a lawyer understands the product. He can only be as as strong on the legal side if he really has a full and comprehensive understanding of the facts. And the other element is that you may anyhow at the end of the process need someone to review the contract. You are negotiating with the uh, SHI funds. So therefore, 
uh, it's much easier also throughout the process if you once need um, a lawyer to check a legal question coming up that is easier to up to activate him uh, when the questions arise sometimes as we also saw there are questions coming up about the orphan status you know what is uh, what is the relevance of the orphan status orphan status may also lead to additional exclusivity that may all be relevant throughout the process and there may be questions about these kind of quite sometimes quite complicated legal topics um, and then it's always easy uh, or easier for a lawyer to provide advice if he already knows the product and i think therefore my recommendation is it makes sense but you don't perhaps need him always throughout each and every step in the process yeah i mean uh, you, you're probably right and uh, i would agree and i would highly recommend to have a a lawyer ready let's let's call it onboarded quite early enough i mean you know if i want to be a bit the devil's advocate right i could also just say especially in the early phase maybe i don't need one because if i anyway potentially need to go to the gba for a early consultation i have their opinion is that not sufficient it's already a good start i would say um it is however not always sufficient why because sometimes some of the assumptions based on which you reach out to the gba may change at the point of time of approval mm -hmm. for example concerning the authorized indication is it really the indication as we all assumed it to come out or are there differences compared to the indications compared to the wording of the indication which was presented to the gba beforehand so therefore there are sometimes assumptions which early on you re based on which early on you reach out to the gba you obtain uh, normally a quite robust feedback however we always have to be aware Sometimes it is based on assumptions. And what is important is to have exactly then the robustness of the advice, which a company obtained from GBA being checked at the point of authorization, just in order to be sure that there is not any loophole or any misunderstanding because of, as we know, uh, that may have quite an important ripple effect if it determines this kind of different as, uh, assessment, whether the product is subject to the under proceeding or not, that is quite a difference. Um, so therefore, uh, it is at least recommended to have this checked. Sometimes it is just necessary to have it checked from regulatory colleagues. Sometimes there are also legal topics involved and then um it makes sense to consult a lawyer on that yeah that's uh, that is true as well so um maybe we do a quick jump now i think we have discussed a bit um on the especially the kind of areas um of expertise obviously but especially around the regulatory part um maybe also before the amnoc process has started i mean i think we had already a couple of let's say episodes discussing AMNOG and its relevance and the benefit assessment, etc. But maybe we can just jump directly into the second part of the AMNOG, which is the uh, price negotiation. So assuming, obviously, we would have a product which is relevant for the AMNOG process, which went already through the 
AMNOC process and got a positive added benefit by the GBA. From your perspective, because you're obviously as well handling not only, let's say, AMNOC processes, but also from regulatory parts and obviously a lot of other legal aspects, how does an optimal preparation from your perspective look like for a good AMNOC negotiation? From my perspective, there are two elements which are always critical. First, it is teamwork. At the AMNOC negotiations, a company will only be really successful, from my perspective, if you have a team involved that also works together and the members of which all have their expertise at the table, which is needed in order to cover all the topics. So when I talk about team in this context, we talk about a medical person, someone from market access, sometimes as mentioned, a lawyer, you need a strong negotiation lead, but they have to work together as a team. Open discussions, uh, solution-oriented, that's important. The second element which makes it, for me, always important is it is critical to have a full understanding of the product and scope and about the competitive situation of the product. Let's go back to the topic, for example, what may be relevant as an element for the negotiations here, for example, the new active substance status. Mm -hmm. What is it? What was it um, the reason for a product obtaining the new active substance status? Or sometimes, why did it not obtain? And depending on that, I think it's always important what is then the con- what are the consequences of this for the negotiations and like this a regulatory quite important regulatory aspect makes its way to the negotiations and there it's important to have the full understanding and in our context if it's unlock relevant of course we have a new active substance status in general why is it then why was it the reason that it obtained the status what is behind it? What are the consequences? So, and uh, therefore, you have several people, everybody from its perspective, looking at this topic and linking consequences to it. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. I think uh, important also, I think, um, besides what you have just, uh, let's say, brought up also with the examples around the negotiations and uh, having the full understanding of let's say the situation of the product, I think it's also the teamwork. Absolutely. I think a negotiation can only really work if you have a good and strong team around all of the different aspects, um, which are especially important in the AMNOC context. Speaking a bit further around negotiations, and you just brought it up with the with team, right? Um, which is one important factor from my perspective. What what would have further important factors from your perspective in order to be successful in the, in a negotiation? Um, who do I need and how does it work out? I mean, you said already, right? More or less who I need, but just maybe getting a bit further into it. Yeah, who do I need? Overall, again, I think from my perspective, you need a good team. Everybody of the team, so the team members have to bring in their expertise, their experience, and they have to stick to the online process. At any point of time in the negotiations, questions could come up in any direction. And then it is always important from my perspective that you have the relevant members around or reachable in order to to be able to discuss all relevant aspects and to cover them. Or sometimes you may not uh, be able to cover it right on the spot, but then 
you may be able to cover them for the next negotiation round. And recalling one of the situations we have been involved, once questions came up about the impact of price listings in other EU member states, then I was happy to have my network activated and in order to be able to reach out to them to get an understanding what does it mean yeah. if a specific price is listed in a country, what is the legal framework, what does it, what kind of elements are linked to that, so that then based on that, we could provide solid feedback. And the same is true for the other colleagues when it is about medical questions, about the market access related topics, where you and your colleagues then bring in the expertise. Um, and therefore, who do I need? And how does it work out? I need a strong team, strong team members, and of course, a strong negotiation lead who is also then able to listen to all of these aspects, to understand them, uh, also the legal issues, and to be able to communicate them in, in a clear way to uh, the other party. Yes. No, I, I, I think very good and nice uh, summary. So, I mean... I, I think when I listen to you, and I mean, you have just said it, we have experienced it as well already jointly. I think um, the whole kind of, let's say, preparation is obviously important. I mean, that you have the right team mix, let's call it, and that I think everybody basically sticks as well to their kind of role. I think that that's quite clear. But I mean, as we all know, I mean, as probably with anything um, like a game and a negotiation could sometimes be a game, if you want to call it like that, right? There are always or let's say sometimes at least, given some price factors, right? Situations, comments, or also uh, arguments by, let's say, the, 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 the opposition, so the other side, how would, or let's say, let's put it in another way, um, what would you recommend how a team in a negotiation in an AMNOC process should deal with that? I like this question. Um, you know, when you talk about the price factors, quite often you're, you know, you are in a discussion, you get an argument from the other party, which you hear for the first time. And then sometimes there is a tendency that people feel they have to respond on the spot. I think there, I sometimes think about a proverb, which I once heard, people need three years to learn to speak, but at least 30 years to learn when not to speak. <laughs> so therefore, I think sometimes it is just better uh, to not directly respond because unfortunately, this problem is quite often true. In case of surprise factors, take your time. Mm -hmm. Discuss this in the team whether the response is clear or whether it's not fully clear. And if you take the time, you may request a break in order to be able to discuss. And if you don't find the answer or if you're not sure about the answer, there is normally not a problem to park it this issue and then um, get back at the next negotiation round um, in order to then be able to fully and holistically address the new topic which came up. Yes, I, I, th I think you summarized this, uh, that really, I think, perfectly. I think the important thing is basically take it. If you, if you know basically how to answer and argue against it, but you thought already through beforehand, also together with the team, then you can obviously take it up. So it's, it's rather not a surprise, right? But if it's really something surprising, take it, take your time, 
take maybe even a break or take it back to the next negotiation round. But for sure, discuss it then also with your experts and also with the other team members, uh, of course, in order to have a sound kind of response to that. I think that was uh, very well said. So when thinking even a bit further, let's say we have had a, a couple of things now in the process, like right, like preparation, surprises, teams, etc. Um, there are also a lot of content stuff to be done within Namnok price negotiation for sure. Um, and you having you basically now uh, within the episode as a lawyer, um, for sure, we need as well to think and to agree finally on a contract. So that needs to be signed, right? Anything where you would say, think about those or these kind of clauses beforehand, are there any important factors from a contracting perspective? There are in, indeed important aspects on the clauses. However, again, it very much depends on the product, which clauses are or will become more relevant. If we have an orphan product purely for hospital use, we have a different discussion mm -hmm. than for a non-orphan product, which, yeah, I would say predominantly will be used via the retail market because purely the, the German pricing regulations are different and the consequences to be, it to be used are different. And um, by that, already the nature of the product determines where are more or less relevant clauses. That's perhaps one element I, I have in mind. The other one is that, of course, when it comes to a contract, law never stands still. Laws change, and then, of course, some changes of the law may then lead to additional adaptations in the contract clauses. And also there, I think we have to keep in mind, which we also know from uh, some of the common experiences we had, the uh, Sigfund Association, they also continue to update their contractual template they use. And by that, new clauses with new legal relevance regularly come up already in the template. But then you may also have to react depending on the product, depending on what the goals of the company are um, and what are the objectives to be achieved in the contract. So therefore I think, yes, um, when thinking about the clauses, there are important factors depending on the product, depending on experiences the Sigfund associations might have. And by that, uh, based on which they updated their template or by experiences and learnings of the company. So it's a big mix. Mm -hmm. Yes, no, no, I, I, I agree. I think there was, again, here, I think it's very hard just to say, uh, focus on clause X, Y, Z, firstly. I think it's, it's the full kind of spectrum and needs any way to be seen, um, let's say, um, in the context of the product. Now, Let's maybe also go a bit into a special case. Um, sometimes people, and we both know that that's not 100% uh, right, but uh, sometimes people are speaking about losing an, the orphan status in the AMNOC context. Can you put that into a bit of a legal frame as well? Happy to do so, Stefan. The orphan drug area is a quite special one, I have to admit. And the whole full regime is 
is also not, not very easy to understand because we also have to differentiate between several elements which sometimes get mixed up. So the first point is always what, what is the orphan status as such? And the orphan status is essentially a, a grant of a designation for a product which happens in two layers. First, quite often companies um, apply quite early in the process of the development of a product for the initial grant of the so-called designation of their product as an orphan medicinal product. However, early in the development, it does not have a binding effect upon the approval. It rather, and this is the second step, has to be maintained at the point of grant of the marketing authorization. Only then, when the product is authorized as an orphan product, then it is authorized with the orphan status. And by that also benefits from a special orphan market exclusivity right. Before, the first step is important in order to secure, for example, access to centralized approval pathways, to reduced cost at EMA when it comes about the approval proceedings or also sometimes tax advantages, free access to scientific advice. So there are elements which also for good reasons, I would say incentivize companies to apply early on for the orphan status. But as said, it has to be confirmed and maintained at the point of MA grant. So that's perhaps the first element. What is the orphan status from a regulatory perspective? But irrespective of the orphan market exclusivity, which is linked to the orphan status, the second question then comes up in the price negotiations, namely the question on about when does a product have a significant benefit? And for that, in Germany, the orphan status if maintained at the point of MA grant, is deemed to show the significant benefit so that as a consequence, a reduced dossier would only need to be submitted. And in general, that allows, at least today, to obtain a non-quantifiable additional benefit for the orphan product. And when people sometimes say, yeah, but um, if we have, if the sales go too high, we may lose orphan status. Now, this is not that you lose the regulatory status as an orphan product. However, it just may mean that you would have to redo the price negotiations. Namely, you would then have to submit a full dossier. And currently, if the sales are over 50 million, then uh, companies would have to go back. In the future, due to some... Um, intentions of the legislator to change the laws. The threshold may only be 30 million. Let's see what comes out, but I think most often this is referred to as losing the orphan status. Yes, exactly, exactly. I think that's that's important to keep in mind, especially when you speak with that or let's say around that kind of phrase. So before we are nearly coming to the end, I mean, you mentioned already that you have been obviously part already as well in a couple of price negotiations in the AMNOC process. So what are recent experience you just maybe want to share with the listeners to that podcast? 
Yeah, recently I was involved in the MNOC proceedings as a member of the negotiation team. And there, I have to say, overall, I had a great experience. As, and you had been part of it, we had a good team with experiences and skilled team members. We had clear roles defined for each team member. Everybody sticked to its role and also covering the necessary expertise, to, which was needed uh, in the context of this negotiation. We had open, constructive discussions internally and preparations for the meetings. And, and this is what I really liked, uh, uh, like, like most, we had a very fact-based, solution-oriented, open discussion. Sometimes it was challenging, but I think that's what I like internally. And then, of course, we could transport it also with in good discussions with the uh, SIG fund associations during which, again, the skills and the experience of each team member was needed. So I come back perhaps quite often to the team element, but uh, that's really what I'm convinced about. Uh, it is important to have a good team. And at the same time, I like working in such a team environment. Yes, fully agree. And uh, I mean, uh, if you mean one of the, let's say, recent uh, negotiations we have uh, been also part of, I mean, I can only share and uh, agree with what you have just said. Absolutely agree. So you touched base also very briefly, and this is, I guess, the last question for this episode, um, on the changes and the most likely changes in the, not only AMNOC, but uh, especially also the AMNOC law. So could you just mention maybe some of the very relevant kind of changes around the AMNOC, which might get already into effect what I heard already from November 15th, because I think the Bundesrat has, uh, I think, already agreed as well today, October 28th, on those changes. Yeah, expected changes may well include um, mandatory discounts to increase. Then the effect of the negotiated reimbursement price may then already take effect as of month six. So retrospective effect. Currently, when we look at uh, the framework, price negotiations start with launch and they, they take one year. And as of month 12, the negotiated price will become effective for the future reimbursement. This will change that already as of month six, the end of month six, the negotiated price will be um, applicable. So with retrospective effect, which of course then will also keep some companies, especially in the financial department, <laughs> quite busy. Uh, and I think what we, uh, these were perhaps two highlights, uh, which I wanted to pick out. And of course, the rest, uh, have to take a look at it in detail. But as we all know, there's also a nice proverb, which uh, sometimes uh, I think about when, when I look at all the legislative activities, a stroke of the pen by the legislator may lead to the fact that the entire libraries become waste paper. <laughs> uh, or sometimes, I think, and that's what we are in Germany, sometimes experiencing, we have to build up a new library. Huh? Let's see <laughs> on what they all come up with. But uh, most often we have both elements. So some of pieces of the library may become irrelevant and the others we have to build up. 
<laughs> yes, that's fully, fully agree, uh, Alex. I think there was a, a great discussion, uh, even greater insights. Uh, enjoyed it very much. So thanks a lot for your time, Alex. Thank you. It was a pleasure and look forward to upcoming additional endeavors. Thank you. Great insights from Alexander Meyer also and around the Amnok process when thinking about the regulatory pathway. So have that already in mind, meaning the market access process when you approach the EMA, for example, on the marketing authorization. Additionally, I think Alex was summarizing it quite nicely. What are the main and key important drivers in a price negotiation? I think it's clearly preparation, 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 for sure, but also the right kind of team, meaning that people need to trust each other, but also and especially stick to your role and for sure prepare in the way that the team can also work quite clearly also based on the content and on the experience they bring in. Furthermore, Alex was also already mentioning that there are a couple of changes which uh, are not only expected but most likely also will come into effect i think we are now having end of october when we record that session so let's say the likelihood at least very high it was just not yet finally let's say approved anyhow here are also a couple of further highlights and Alex mentioned some of those. I think very importantly, the often drug threshold in terms of revenue for 12 months has been reduced from 50 million to 30 million euros. That's an important consideration. Um, if you have an ingredient which in, is uh, on top of an already existing product, especially in the high cost area, there is then also 20% um, discount, which is directly let's say, upfront to be expected, so-called combination discount. Um, a couple of further things very importantly for sure is as well that um, the free pricing that is only, let's say, relevant now for six months. So everybody knows the process lasts for 12 months, but for sure um, then there are um, paybacks then to be done by the industry starting in month seven. Furthermore, very important additional change, not only relevant, let's say, for orphan drugs, but for all of the drugs, is the um, direct anchor now from a pricing perspective to the comparative therapies if you only have a minor or a non-quantifiable added benefit. And as you know, dear listeners, that's probably a good majority of products which have been now assessed by the GBA. So watch out that space for further information, further updates and interviews episodes around the Amnok reform and contact me directly if you have any specific questions. That was an episode of MAP, the market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. MAP is available every second week with a new episode, so watch out. And in case you might have questions, contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de.